0: Pastor Brad, Senior Pastor here at First Baptist, I'm going to ask you to take out uh, this outline from your bulletin. As you can see, uh, if you've been around here a little while, we are starting up a brand new series here today. But we're also ending our series that we just came through on beliefs. So we're answering the final question of our past series. Uh, Many of you remember that about five, six weeks ago we took a survey um, and uh, these were the questions that we've been working through in the series called Beliefs and this one just fits in so well with beginning our new series. It's the second question up there or actually true false statement that you asked um, and answered. The Bible is completely accurate in all the principles that it teaches and and that's what we're going to look at today. Is it accurate? Is the Word that we have in our hands today, and if you don't have it in your hands, you can get it out of the seats below or in the pew in front of you, is your Bible the accurate Word of God that we have? Is it authentic? Is it true? with how God spoke it to the original writers. And um, it's our final question in the Belief series, and it begins our God's Grand Story New Testament version. Uh, And like the video said, we certainly hope that you'll be here for the next six, seven weeks. On Sunday mornings, we hope that you will get into a community group. We hope that you'll begin reading God's Word and the devotions that will be there for you. It is a great, great time to jump in here at first baptist if you're a first-time visitor here or jump further into our community groups and such if you're a regular attender Um, because here at first baptist we hold god's word up highest highest element i mean only jesus god is above what he has revealed to us and we hold in fact we have 10 core values here at first baptist This is the one that we say, this is kind of the first among equals, because we believe it's God's word, his guidance to us, his grand story that tells us how he made us, created us, loved us. We went astray in sin and how he restored his relationship to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to dig into here over the next seven weeks. And this word's going to become alive, more alive, than I hope you have ever had it in your life, because you will be reading it not only here on Sunday mornings, but in your homes um, throughout the week. In fact, let's look here. You see the outline on your, uh, you see the verse on your outline, you see the verse up here on the screen. Hebrews has some special things to say about this, and I want you to read it with me together. Would you read it? Go. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. These are not just dead words put on a page some 2,000, 4,000 years ago. These are alive, they are active, they teach us, they instruct us. In fact, it says that in 2 Timothy as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, read this with me, go. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, equipped in every good work. And when God's word becomes that guiding force in our lives, and when we follow it, here's what God's word says out of Psalm 119, 105. It says, read it with me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in these pages, we have the love story that God has written with us, for us, Where he actually talks about he himself coming down in the form of jesus to die for us i mean what other kind of a love story is written like that i don't know if you came across this story this last week but a gal by the name of uh, carrie decline back in april was diagnosed with um brain cancer and um She decided to turn down the clinical tests and trials that she'd have to go through. She decided to turn down the chemotherapy that she would have to go through to see if her life could be extended because she was pregnant. And she knew that she wanted to give birth to her little daughter that was in her womb. And so she chose to do that rather than try and save her life. She knew she could not do both. Well, she died three days after she gave birth. To her little daughter, um, and she was only at the age of 37. A a reporter uh, interviewed Carrie's husband, Nick, and um, asked, Can you explain, can you put into words what you might share with your daughter one day about what her mom did to give her life? And the grieving father and husband, here's how he answered: He said, I'm gonna tell my daughter that mommy did this because she loves you and she is in heaven. And we will see her soon. We will see her soon. Now, here's my question. As long as that little daughter is alive, do you think she will ever doubt her mother's love for her? No way. No way. And the same thing is true for you. These pages tell about a God who loves you who came down in the very being, the essence of his son, to give his life for you. That shares, you should know, you should never, ever, ever doubt, never forget. In fact, the time that we forget and we're uh, in doubt about God's love is when we don't get into it enough. got this email from our people here few months ago, he said, Pastor Brad, I wanted to thank you for keeping God's word real and relevant. He said, the Bible has really helped me to understand the standards that God has called us to live by as believers. Looking back on my life, I didn't always live according to God's word. I used to behave in ways that were truly ungodly, and I know God was not pleased with my lifestyle. I struggled with anger and forgiveness in ways that were damaging to my family, my friends, and complete strangers. In fact, the only way I learned to interact with others was by the worldly way of saying, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, or only the strong will survive. That was my mentality. He said, now I know better because the Bible tells me to do unto others as others would do unto me. It helps me to value others more than myself. Thank God that due to his love and his mercy, I continue to experience healing in my heart and in my mind. I now have a much better relationship, obviously, with God, but with other people as well. Keep preaching, unashamedly, because we all know the Bible. Um, we need to know the Bible to be our worldview based upon God's views of, uh, for us, not our own views. And what many of us maybe have forgotten is that the, wor- the world without this chooses their own ways. They all choose to do their own thing because they think it may be correct. And the Bible even talks about that. God just gives us so much in here that I would pray you would be in it on a regular basis, that you would be in on it on a daily basis, that you would be on it more than once a day that you will continue to read it and open it. Because as you do, your life is changed. You, if you heard the phrase, keep your nose clean. The best way to keep your nose clean is to keep it in God's word. Is to let it just just, just seek in and, and, and tell you and instruct you. Because when you read it, then this Holy Spirit begins to be on your mind and in your heart. And you begin to act differently. You begin to respond to people differently. But just know, you have an evil one. You have an adversary who hates that you are here right now. He hates that we are going through the New Testament. He hates that we are getting into his word and studying it, just not here on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And he will do everything he can to disprove and discredit these writings and try and get you to see that this is not really true. It's not really God's word. Really? Because if he can tear this down, look at how much progress he has made. If he can get you to discredit this and not think that this is Accurate in its writings, not to think that it is his word given to you, then we can begin to pick and choose. And that's when life gets kind of interesting. I got a call from a gal a couple weeks ago, and she was basically trying to defend her lifestyle. And in the midst of doing it, she was saying, You know what, Pastor Brad? Um, I don't believe the Bible is written by God. I believe it's written by human beings. Um, We all know man wrote the Bible, and she started going. I started stopping her. I I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean it's written by human beings? She said, well, I don't believe God wrote it. I said, let me tell you what I understand. God's word was given to man to write, but it was written by God. It was breathed out by God. It was shared by God, and everything that is in there is directly from His Holy Spirit. And we got to talking about that. She said, okay, well, I can, I can, I can track that, but how do you know it's real? How do you know it is, it is completely accurate in what is written in there? And I got to thinking, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to answer this, and I answered it in a long about way for her. I invited her back even to come here at this today and to hear this. But let me share with you some of the knowledge about God's word that you need to know. To know that it is fully accurate, to, full, to know that this is God's word in its purest form, not change, not, not um, uh, change in its theological truths that we have to doubt that man got involved. In fact i love what ron carlson says about this ron carlson had been in our pulpit a number of years he passed away about uh eight ten years ago now um but he talks about the time that he was on an airplane um and met a gal who was a phd and world lit at a professor in the east coast and she got to talking to him about some things when she found out that he was a pastor she said well you know the problem with you christians don't we get that every now and then, right? Lump us all in, all right? You know you know the problem with you, Christian, is? Is that you're always quoting the Bible to try and prove the Bible. She says, that's circular thinking. That's circular reasoning. You, you, you can't do that. Dr. Carlson thought for a moment, he thought, well, you know what? Whoever told you that the Bible is just one book? And she said, what do you mean? He said, no, in fact, it's 66 books written by over 40 different authors 1,500-year period of time, three different languages on three different continents. She said, so, and he said, so when I quote Peter to prove Paul, or when I quote Luke to prove Isaiah, I'm not using circular thinking, reasoning, because the Bible is not just one book. And you can see on the bottom of your outline that I wrote some of the things that Ron Carlson has shared with us in the past about the amazing unity of the Bible and how it fits together so wonderfully, and how we can trust, because it fits together so wonderfully, what God's Word is and the truth of God's Word as it's given to us. In fact, what many people question is what's known as the telephone game. Do you, do you remember playing the telephone game back when you were a kid, right? Whereas you would tell somebody over here something, and this may be second or third grade, and the teacher would say, okay, now share it with your neighbor, and then the neighbor shares it, and you have to whisper it so nobody else can hear it, and when that word, that phrase got all the way through the classroom, and it got all the way back up, it was nowhere close to what the teacher had said at the very beginning, right? And that's what many people might even pose to you. They might say, you know, how do you know it's really true from what was originally written? your question let me give you some thoughts on that on the back of your outline you have a timeline for how we got the new testament and let me do this let me get you involved here a little bit all right here's what i want to do i'm going to go through and show you how the writings we have today came from the original writings and how we can know that they are honest and truthful. In fact, Dave, I'm going to ask you if you don't mind if you will stand right there. And Dave is going to be the original. He is going to be the original writing of the scriptures, be it Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, be it Paul. You are an original. Is he not an amazing original right over here? You see that? Yeah, Dave. Good. He is the original, all right? Well, they were written anywhere, somewhere between 50 and 90 A.D. And you can see that people began to say, you know, we should um, really copy these down so we don't lose these. And so what became known as papyrus manuscripts began to be circulated in the years 90 to 300. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Everybody who's on the outside row, just individually, the very last one in the row, and all the way up into the balcony, the very last one in the row, would you guys all stand? You guys are going to represent the papyrus manuscripts. And you can see it up here on the screen as well. We have kind of an original copy over here. The next one are the papyrus. The, there are not very many of these. In fact, they weren't even around. And I'll tell you about when some of them began to be discussed or discovered. But they were very fragile. They were very brittle when they were first originally written. Um, they didn't hold up very well. Do we see some weak people of these uh, papyrus uh, manuscripts? Maybe, yeah, yeah. Dave thinks yes. They they didn't do real well at the end of his original writings, but but they were in circulation for a while, and then be, people began to say, you know, we need to copy these in a little better form, and so there was something called the unsealed manuscripts that began to become into existence around 300 to 800 A.D. And what I'm going to ask is this whole section right here. If you guys would all stand up, up in the balcony as well. The whole section there. If you will stand up, you guys represent the unsealed manuscripts. These were written in large capital letters. They were written on thick material so it wouldn't disintegrate very quickly. Oftentimes it was on antelope skins. It was also called the codex. They were built to last, but they were very expensive. And so people began to say, we can't carry these around. They're so big, they're so bulky, they're very expensive. And they began to write then minuscule manuscripts. And I'm going to have that represented by this whole group right here and this whole group up in the balcony as well. So if you will all stand this whole section. These were written from 800 to 1400 A.D. Many of them were written in cursive. They were written in small letters. Thousands of these exist. They're very small to save paper, But they were copied and copied and copied again until the Middle Ages, when in 1456 we began to print the Bible. And so I want you all to stand up here and here, up in the balcony as well, these two sections. Let's have you all stand up together. Here's the problem. What is now printed way over here in our Bibles that you hold today in 2017... How do we know it's what the original author wrote? Because we don't have any more original copies. Go ahead and sit down, We don't have any more of those. And until about 100 years or so ago, we didn't have any of the papyrus. So all the ones on the end, if you guys will now sit down. We didn't have any of those papyrus copies as well. And then they will have this whole section right here. Why don't you guys all sit down as well? Because until about 100 years ago, we didn't have the unseals that we could go back and look at. And then we didn't have any minuscules as well. Go ahead and sit down here. So how do we know that all the copies of the copies of the copies of the copies represent what all of you represent, and that's God's Word? You all may have a seat as well. How do we know that? Well, let me give you a few thoughts on this. Because I do believe what we have here in here is from God and His very perfect Word to us. Because we have seen it proved in some curious ways. Now, I shared a a little bit about this about four or five years ago. um, And and I want to share this again because it's good to kind of keep this in front of our minds. But let me share with you some stories that we can know for sure how we have these original writings in our hands. The most fascinating story is probably from a monastery on top of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, you might remember, if you hear that name, where Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments. There's a monastery up there called St. Catherine's. One day, an archaeologist adventurer by the name of Count Tischendorf Went to pay a visit to this monastery. He was kind of a German count who lived in Russia. Think of Indiana Jones when you think of this guy, all right? He goes up there. He wants to have some fun. 1844 is the year. He's trying to kind of discover some archaeological digs and finds from his hobby that he has, uh, never suspecting that the most valuable artifact he would find would be right underneath his nose. He comes out from doing some work in the field, it's cold that night, he comes into the monastery, sits beside a fire, and there's a monk who's kind of stoking the fire for him. And he's tearing off these large rectangular parchment pieces of paper, and he begins to notice, the count begins to notice, that there's Greek writing on these parchments that are going into the fire. And so the count says, uh, excuse me a second, can I, can I just see what, what what's on those? And he begins to see that these are ancient Greek copies of the New Testament. He says, uh, do you think I can take these and, and, and say these? He's like, yeah, sure, we got a bunch of these, uh, help yourself. And what he began to find, that it turned out that the earliest of Christians Um, sent their precious unsealed copies, that was this whole section right up in here, sent their copies to the top of Mount Sinai to this monastery uh, for safekeeping when the Roman Empire persecuted Jerusalem and the city so that those copies would not be destroyed. And so we can know because we can see that these date back to about 200 years or so after the original New Testament book was written. And these unseals represent... Line for line, the Greek, original Greek that we now have today that's translated into English. Now, there are a few discrepancies that are in place, but most any time that those are going to be in place, they're also explained in your scripture about what took place. Let me tell you another story. 1475, 500 or so years ago, someone is cataloging the Vatican Library for the very first time and discovers some ancient manuscripts known as the Codex Vaticanus. It's the oldest complete New Testament ever found, dated back to 325 A.D. They go, wow, this is incredible. This is is awesome. It's a copy of the New Testament in Greek. And so the Vatican comes in and says, "Uh, thank you very much. And they take that and they lock it up because they don't want it to be in the hands of the people. In the 1800s, there was some pressure put on the Vatican to say, hey, we want to see what those manuscripts are. We want to see what those are. Finally, they released them, and they found out as they studied through them that it was almost, again, word for word in the Greek New Testament of what we hold in our hands as our copies of the New Testament, almost word for word. I'm going to give you a third story. This is the one that's kind of, kind of amazing. Some of the earliest papyrus scrolls, and that was this group that stood up right here. We don't have the original manuscripts, but some of the earliest papyrus scrolls that were directly from the original manuscripts have also been discovered. Stunning finds. Archaeologists have found a mummy. That dates back to 150 AD. And some people actually believe it dates back to 117 AD, some even back to 98 AD. Now, that, that kind of makes you scratch your head because the New Testament was finished up in 90 AD. And so this was within a decade of when the original writings were in circulation. And archaeologists have uncovered a mummy in Egypt that's its head was wrapped in a parchment that was of chapter 18 of the book of John. Again, a copy of part of the gospel. It's not the whole gospel, but parts of 18, a very small interval, that reads exactly like what you have in your Bibles today, except it was in Greek, not in English. What does that mean? That tells me that the printed copies you have today and the ones that you have online that you can get and receive as well aren't from copies of copies of copies of copies, but they're very, very, very authentic with very few discrepancies, and again, when you see the discrepancies, you'll have them most often footnoted as to why there is a discrepancy in there. Now, that's the New Testament manuscripts. I don't even have time to go into the Old Old Testament. Let me just tell you very quickly, because many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Back in 1947, a young shepherd boy by the name of Muhammad Abdid was out in the fields and up in the caves, and one of his goats traveled away into the mouth of the cave. He took a rock and tried to throw it in there to scare the goat. Back out, he heard a clank that had hit some clay pots. Within those clay pots were scrolls. Those scrolls then were authenticated going back about 2000 to 24 years ago. Incredible leapfrog in time over that time. What these Dead Sea Scrolls represented is copies of the Temple Scrolls that go way back to the originals. In other words, hear this. This was the first person who got the whisper in the telephone game. That's how the Old Testament can be verified. And again, discrepancies very, very few, just probably from a scribe missing a line or skipping over a line in the human error like that, but nothing that messes with any of the theology that is in our scriptures today. Same thing, I don't have time to go into the archaeological type of proofs that we could give today. Let me just say this. Nothing, nothing that has ever been discovered by archaeologists has ever gone to disprove what is in your Bible. In fact, it's just the opposite. It is, if anything has been discovered, it will always prove more about the authenticity of scriptures as we have it today. In fact, a famed um, Nelson Gluck, famed Israeli archaeologist said this. He says, it can be stated categorically. That no archaeology discover has ever controverted a biblical reference. I'd encourage you to put that before other religions. The Mormon faith. Ask someone. Yeah, oh, I hear some laughing on that one, huh? And I don't mean to put that down. I'm just saying, if you look into their history, it is a wild, wild history. And yet you look at the history of God's word and what has been proven and what has not been, and you can see it's fully authenticated. I think of the French philosopher, Voltaire, back in 1778. um, You know, his government was trying to tear down God's Word. He tried to do it as well. Does he not look very smug in that picture right there? Huh? I I guarantee you that is not a Bible he has in his hand. Because here's what he said. He said, in a hundred years from my time, Christianity will cease to exist. And what's interesting is that 50 years after he died... The Geneva Bible Society used his home and his printing press to print Bibles. Oops, right? You say, so what? What, 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 what needs to go on? That's the big question. See, there needs to be a foundation for our faith. The Bible is the litmus test. And if Satan in our culture can discredit the Bible, then everything else can kind of fall apart as well. And we have to recognize this is the infallible Word of God. It is accurate and it is true as we hold it in our hands today. And it has the power to change lives. And you don't need to run from that. I encourage you to run to that. And some of you here today have known that. You've known that all your life. Well, maybe today I've just elevated it just a bit to say, look how important this is for us to be going through this study together and for you to be in God's Word. But others here today, maybe you're saying, you know what? I never really thought about that. That God's Word is that true and that accurate, and He is so active in that. You know, I I find that the people who most want to discredit the Bible Are those who don't want to live up to its standards. And if we can discredit the Bible, then we can say, ah, see, I didn't need to live up to those standards. And yet, for those of you who are Christians, and maybe even you have some more knowledge now than you have before that you can defend your faith with, I certainly don't encourage you to walk out and just start beating someone up over the head with that knowledge. We need to do it in love. We need to pray for people to value God's Word. We need to pray for people to, to value the principles that are in God's Word. We need to pray, and we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us as we share in truth about God's Word. Now, Nobel Korshi, um, some of you might recognize that name, what, is an author who died of stomach cancer last Saturday. If you don't recognize the name, Koroshi was raised by Muslim parents. He immigrated to the United States from Pakistan. And as an adult, he um, had a Christian friend who challenged him to look into his faith. He challenged him to look into the faith of Islam, and he challenged him to look into the faith of Christianity. And as Koroshi studied Christianity after years of investigation and after studying God's Word and seeing the truth of it and the facts and the proof that it holds up to the test of time and actually after seeing dreams and visions he believed from the Lord, he gave his life to Christ and became a Christian. In 2014, Koroshi wrote the book, and some of you have heard this. In fact, we have a, a women's book club who's been studying this book. I didn't even know that. The gals told me after service. He wrote the book. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And the tagline is, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. And it became a New York Times bestseller. Well, as, as he passed away this last Saturday at the age of 34, he filmed a video. In fact, it was the final video that he filmed on his hospital bed. And here's what Korshi said. He said, you know, I think it's very important that we discuss matters of truth, that we know truth, that we turn to God's word and find that truth. But he says, at the end of the day, it should be supposed to be undergirded by love and by peace. He said, when you talk to people about your beliefs, do it through a lens of love. the reason I'm elevating this so high today is because we're entering into this walk through the New Testament. And First Baptist, we have the greatest opportunity, not just to study about God's word, but to study God's word. To hear what it says to us. To go through the pages of Matthew to Revelation. To see the red letters that Jesus spoke. And to see the realness of how he went to the cross and died for you. And to see God's incredible love letter laid out for you, and to see Paul and the writings he wrote, and to see Peter's, and to see John's, and to see all those put together into a place in the seven, next seven weeks, that you can have just a greater grasp of what God's Word is doing in your life. You know, Korshi, in that video, here were his final words on that video. He said, whether you're talking to a Hindu, a Jew, a Muslim, or a Christian, he said, whoever you're talking to, may it be out of love because we don't always agree in fact we don't always agree what's what's in here and the hard understandings and the hard sayings of this but i love what mark twain said about that he said you know it's not the parts of the bible that i do not understand that bother me the most it's the parts of the bible i do understand that bother me the most that I have to live up to those, and they're hard to live up to. But please realize this, First Baptist, you have a helper. You have a counselor who lives inside of you and wants to help you live out these pages. And that same spirit that breathed from God into the first humans who wrote the original copies, that same spirit is breathing life into you today. That same spirit is breathing truth into your world today. And you don't hear that out of the culture. You don't hear that in other places. You hear that from here. You hear that at church. You hear that when you open up God's word. That's what we need to remember. I love what Karl Barth said. I shared this with you a month or two ago. Karl Barth, famed theologian, was asked, what's the greatest, most, most profound thing that's in all of Scripture? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the what? so. Need I say anything more? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, how we follow it here at First Baptist Church. I thank you for your truth, and the way you give it to us. God, I thank you for the realness that is taught through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we as a church family come together and study your pages from Matthew to Revelation, I pray that there would be new God stories that will be shown and shared. God, I pray that we will see your spirit alive like never before. I pray that we will worship like we have never worshiped before. I pray that we will act in love and kindness like we have never acted before. I pray that we will be in prayer like we have never been before. God, that we will see your spirit move in us as individuals, and as individuals, we will make an influence in our parts of the city, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, with our family and friends and relatives. God, may you do a work in us, and as we gather together on Sunday mornings to work worship you, as we gather together in homes to to learn more about your word, as we open your word on a regular daily basis, may you just fill us up. May you fill us up with your spirit, and may that spirit speak to us. And God, may your spirit speak through us, speak through our words, but even more, speak through our love and speak through our Folks, let me just say, some of you have found excuse after excuse after excuse not to jump in and get involved with this series. May I just put one more word before you? If you truly pray about it and the Holy Spirit says, nope, you're right, you're too busy, nope, you're right, you don't need to do this, then okay. But I pray God's Spirit would just work on you. Would just say, come on, and if you don't think you need it, someone still needs Would you get involved? Would you jump in? Would you say yes? And would you commit to reading? Would you commit to getting in God's word? At least for the next seven weeks. God, we want to be changed people. We don't want to just play the game of religion. We don't want to just play church. God, we want to be changed people. We are in love with you. Thank you for your incredible love story to us. Lord, even now as we worship, may the words we sing come alive in our hearts be displayed as we leave this place. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.